Today's podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Human Genetics, supporting scientific discovery, education, and advocacy by human genetics specialists worldwide. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. A giant defense policy bill heads to the Senate floor with big fights expected over Guantanamo Bay, subjecting women to the draft, and war funding. Donald Trump and the Republican National Committee finally have a deal on how to coordinate their fundraising, but will it provide a lifeline to some threatened GOP senators? And after more than a month, House Republicans have a plan to rescue Puerto Rico from its debt crisis. Does it have enough support to pass with a $2 billion payment looming on July 1st? I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call with a look ahead to the week of May 23rd with defense reporters Megan Scully and John Donnelly, money and politics reporter Kate Ackley, and state news reporter Jonathan Miller. Let's start with literally the biggest thing Congress typically handles in a given year, the giant defense policy bill. Megan and John, the Senate takes up its version of the 2017 Pentagon authorization bill this coming week. Hawkish members are complaining about shortfalls in the defense budget, but unlike the House, senators aren't going to dip into war accounts to make up for the shortages, right? That's right. The House Armed Services bill, which the House passed last week, they wanted to increase money for defense, but they didn't want to increase the total amount uh, the Pentagon got. So uh, within the, the uh, $59 billion war budget, they added $18 billion that was not formally requested by the Pentagon. It was on some of their wish lists for things like planes and tanks and uh, ships and more soldiers and Marines. Uh, the, uh, but what they did in order to do that was they provided only a little more than a half a year's worth of funding for the troops that are actually at war. John McCain, chairman of Senate Armed Services, said, no, we're not going to do it that way. However, when the bill comes to the floor uh, this coming week, McCain is going to start a debate on providing that money by just increasing the total amount. But this is just uh, – he's just going to revisit a question that Congress hasn't been able to resolve for the last five years. What will be interesting about that will be it will essentially force a vote on just the defense spending portion of the the total – federal spending debate, which also involves domestic spending and revenue. So we'll put members on the record just on the the defense portion alone, which could be a tough vote for some lawmakers, particularly in an election year. Democrats will push back because they do not want to see defense increased unless domestic is also increased and unless there's some revenue generation to go with it. So again, it's just a rehash of the same debate that we haven't been able to resolve, and he's extremely unlikely to be successful in getting that extra money. Megan, you shook loose the uh, bill language ahead of the pack, and you found some interesting provisions there, uh, including one about creating a stateside facility to replace Guantanamo Bay. What's the genesis of that? Sure. Well, Guantanamo is a perennial issue uh, on the defense authorization and the appropriations bills. Uh, Senator McCain has long uh, favored closing Guantanamo and uh, has told the Obama administration that he would try to sell their plan if he came up with a viable alternative. Earlier this year, the Obama administration, at the behest of Congress, sent their Guantanamo closure plan. 
but it did not include a facility that they would send the remaining detainees to. That infuriated McCain. So in this bill, though, he, he, he still keeps the door open ever so slightly to ultimately closing Guantanamo by allowing the Pentagon to set aside some funding to design and, and plan for a Guantanamo closure in the United States. But the bill keeps alive existing prohibitions on actual construction and prohibitions on ultimate on closing Guantanamo. But his provision, though it's it's just a small step forward, essentially allows the next president to move forward with a plan to close Guantanamo. Now, the Senate's bill would also require women to register for the draft starting in 2018. There was similar language in the House's version of the defense policy bill, but it got watered down. What are the odds this policy change ultimately survives? I think it's pretty likely. It has the support of senior members of the military, um, including the chiefs of the Army and the Marine Corps. Uh, And it has the support of the top Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. So when they go to conference, when they negotiate the differences between the House and Senate versions of the authorization bill, um, you'll have three of of the four uh, leaders of the committee in support of opening the draft to women. Also, Democrats in the House are very unhappy with how that language got stripped out. It was kind of a procedural motion because Republicans, uh, because the the provision passed the committee, and it was a surprise to everyone. And Republicans, House Republicans, were worried that their efforts to overturn that language would fail on the floor. So it was kind of a backdoor way of of stripping it from the bill and then replacing it with just a report. I think going into conference, uh, the Senate bill, uh, assuming that that's the way it it is voted out on the floor, uh, stands a very good chance of ultimately passing. So sketch out the bill manager, John McCain's plans for floor debate now. Well, he's definitely going to offer this amendment that would uh, increase the total amount for defense uh, roughly along the same lines as the House Armed Services Committee. But rather than doing so by curtailing the amount of money that would actually go to troops in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, et cetera, and requiring the next president as one of his first acts to come to Congress for some more war money ASAP, rather than doing that, he's going to say, let's just increase the total amount for defense. But again, I think the odds of that happening are, are, are pretty slim. We're going to see several at least one, maybe two, three um, efforts to delay consideration by by forcing what we call cloture vote, essentially a procedural motion. The hope is to finish the bill next week. They typically like to back up this massive bill uh, before a recess um, as an incentive to get it done, but it's unclear whether there will be enough time next week to actually finish it. One thing's for certain, however, and that's Senator McCain wants this bill to be debated in its entirety, and the Senate to vote it out this year. Because the last two years, the Senate did not debate this bill, did not did not vote on final passage. They had to go to conference with the House with just the committee-approved version of the bill. Uh, and they did ultimately get a final bill. It's, it's been passed every year um, for 53 straight years. Uh, but, uh, but the Senate itself has not weighed in on its own version of the bill as since 2006. 13, I guess that is. Another thing that's happening next week, just to point out, the Senate Appropriations Defense Subcommittee will be writing its version on Tuesday of the defense spending bill. So after next week, we will have all four of the major defense bills in play. 
Kate Ackley, Donald Trump made an uneasy peace with Republican congressional leaders and now has his presidential campaign beginning to coordinate the tricky business of fundraising with the Republican National Committee. What is envisioned in the deals they struck? Well, if you've got $449,000 lying around, you can write one check now. You don't have to divvy up that money in different buckets. So you can write one big check, and that's what they want. They had their kumbaya moment between the RNC and the Trump campaign and a few state party committees. You can write, if you're a big donor, you can write one big check, and then they can parse out that money. Where the money goes remains in flux. So, yeah, this is kind of one-stop shopping for a wealthy donor who maybe they don't like to write a lot of little checks. But So do the senators and representatives in tight races, say in Ohio, in New Hampshire, in Wisconsin, do they automatically benefit from an arrangement like this? Well, their campaigns directly won't necessarily benefit. Uh, what this does, what this joint fundraising committee agreement does is it allows donors to give money jointly to state party committees, to the Republican National Committee, as well as the Trump campaign. No surprise, the Trump campaign gets its money first, then the RNC, and then the states can split it up. Interestingly, though, in this agreement, you don't see a lot of the battleground states. So I've talked to some operatives in places like New Hampshire, where Kelly Ayotte is, of course, in a very tight race, or Ohio, where Senator Rob Portman is in a tight race. Pennsylvania, where Pat Toomey is in a tight race. They're not a party. Those states are not a party to this agreement. So they're going to be waiting with their hands out. Will they get some of that money trickled down from the RNC? The, the Republican National Committee says they're running a big ground game in all the battleground states. And so, yes, the money will be there to, to help get out the vote and do those kind of operations. But we're not talking about a direct infusion of cash to those vulnerable candidates' coffers directly. And it should be pointed out, these joint committees are, are a recent phenomenon, but not uncommon. Hillary Clinton and the Democrats have similar arrangement. Right. These are becoming increasingly common, and presidential candidates aren't the only ones who have them. It's a way for, uh, you know, different campaigns to sort of come together and pool their resources while also pooling their donation limits. So, again, it's sort of aimed at these big donors, the people who have millions of dollars sitting around and can can write big checks. So we're looking at people like Sheldon Adelson, Ken Langone, billionaire backers just have piles of cash, and it's uh, it's a way to get more money into the into the into the coffers. It seems to me it's also a big test of whether Trump is a drag on the Republican brand because donors can always just go to the individual campaigns and ignore the joint committees. And I think you see a lot of Republican insiders here in Washington doing just that. They're saying we want to focus on the House and Senate races. We're sort of ignoring this presidential uh, election in a lot of ways. But you are also seeing many Republican insiders start to coalesce around Donald Trump and his candidacy. So I think the money will just start to follow. Even even some of the K Street money, a lot of lobbyists say, well, we haven't even heard from the Trump campaign. Nobody's called us. These are big donors and people who bundle other people's political money together to make big contributions. And a lot of them say they have not heard from anybody. But I think that will start. But this is largely something that is focused on those those big billionaires like the Koch brothers, who, interestingly enough, uh, it's not really clear whether they're going to be backing Donald Trump. So, so we might see them either sit on the sidelines or there were some 
some rumors recently that David Koch might actually try to fund uh, the uh, Libertarian Party candidate. So the, the, the money race is certainly very intriguing this cycle. Jonathan Miller from the state team. The House plan to rescue Puerto Rico has been a long time coming, and it would set up an oversight board to oversee most of the island's finances. It would allow Puerto Rico to reorganize its debt in court. Is this enough to quell concerns that it's a quote-unquote bailout? Right. So anyone who's been watching uh, cable news in the D.C. area has seen these ads. They've been calling the bill a bailout. It's from a group that many suspect is backed by hedge funds. We don't know for sure. But what Paul Ryan has said and House um, Republicans have said constantly is it's not a bailout. Now, whether that's enough to quell the concerns, as you say, from some members, conservatives especially, is still a bit of an open question. At this point, uh, I think think that most Republicans are on board to a certain degree. It still has to go into um, committee. It has to have a markup in the House. And so that'll be an interesting question when we, when we see that happen. Now, this, uh, the idea of helping Puerto Rico crawl out from the dead, it got a pretty rough reception a month or so ago. Uh, how is the new version playing in the House so far? Right. So um, the bill was released on Wednesday, very late, right before midnight. People didn't have a lot of time to kind of absorb the details of it right now. But what is interesting about it, and I think what is remarkable at this point, is that it was negotiated among Republican and Democratic leadership, the Obama administration. It even had input from the House Freedom Caucus, the very conservative group that has gummed up the works uh, in the past. One key person to watch is Raul Labrador. He's a Republican from Idaho. Uh, he sits on the Natural Resources Committee where they're going to debate this bill. He's also from Puerto Rico originally. And so that is going to be an interesting person to watch. But he's also been very instrumental in getting some provisions in that bill that he wanted. Uh, and when I talked to him, uh, he had said that he was happy with the way that it worked out. He still wasn't sure whether he was going to support it in the end. So that that's important, I think. And for the policy nerds, uh, I guess we should point out that while this has all sorts of legal and financial implications, the Natural Resources Committee has jurisdiction because it's a territory? That's correct. Yeah. Um, Puerto Rico's debt has been primarily a concern for the House and for Speaker Paul Ryan, who set a rather ambitious timetable for this. Uh, assuming it gets marked up, assuming it gets out of the House and moves to the Senate, what are you watching for there? Yeah, they haven't really been paying much attention to it. Talking to senators on Thursday, um, they're very preoccupied with a lot of things. Defense authorization, as uh, John and Megan were talking about, um, there's going to be appropriations bills that are going to be moving to the floor. There's not a lot of time. They have till July 1st when, you, as you mentioned, that $2 billion payment comes up. And the big issue is, are they going to be able to get through the Senate in about two weeks? Because there might not be floor action in the House until they return in the second week of June. You've got two weeks left for the Senate. But the issue is going to be, if they can't get it done by July 1st, the island is going to default on those payments. There are going to be a whole host of creditor lawsuits, and it's not going to be clear what's going to happen at that point. CQ State reporter Jonathan Miller, thanks very much. My thanks, too, to Kate Ackley, 
John Donnelly, and Megan Scully. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Have a good week.